let that image of that sandcastle stay in your mind just a bit. There are many literary forms in the Bible. In God's Word, we read poems, proverbs, legal documents, dramatic narratives, hymns, sermons, theological treatises, personal letters, and apocalyptic visions. This morning, we're beginning a series of messages about a unique literary form that Jesus often utilized. Over and over again, we hear him using this literary form in his earthly ministry. It's called the parable. Jesus was a master storyteller. He often told stories from everyday experiences, using them to illustrate spiritual lessons he was trying to get across. For example, instead of launching into a one-hour lecture about who our neighbor is and how we're supposed to love him, he told a story. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are full of these stories. And so this summer we're going to explore about a dozen of these stories together. Jesus' use of parables show that he was fully acquainted with everyday life. He's familiar with the workaday world of the farmer, the fisherman, the builder, the merchant. He moved with equal ease among the managers of estates, the ministers of finance, the judges of a court of law, the, the Pharisee, the tax collector, the whole gamut of people appeared in his stories. His parables portray men and women and, and children, the poor, the rich, the outcast, and the high and mighty. Anyone might find himself in one of Jesus' stories. And I think that's one of the reasons people listen to him with great interest. In the parables, Jesus began with a commonplace, familiar reality in order to teach a deeper spiritual, and yes, even eternal reality. That's what a parable tries to do. As you may have guessed from the video that we just saw, we're going to read together Jesus' parable about the wise and foolish builders. If you didn't guess that, just look at the screen. The title's right there. That's the parable we're going to focus on this morning. And it's found both in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I want to turn with you to Matthew 7 this time. And we're going to read there in just a few minutes. So I'll give you just a little bit of time to think about that. How many of you have built a sandcastle at the beach? Did it look as good as this one did? No, not mine either, but we tried. You know, we did our best. We tried to impress everybody else around us. Wow, look at the one they built. You know, we, we've built some monstrous ones in our family. We might spent half the week working on it. We get it up out of the way, you know, for the tide's not going to get it. But if you build one down here where the waves are going to crash later on, how long did your sandcastle last? Did it even last the day? Probably not. It lasted until the next tide came in, and it's gone. It's history. You can't even tell anything was ever in that spot. It's completely reduced to just level sand again. Did you know that mankind has built many things beyond sandcastles? It took a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, magnificent buildings, structures that are just as doomed to fail someday. You know about one of these. In 1174, the Italian architect Bonanno Fasano began work on what would have become his most famous project, an eight-story bell tower next to the cathedral in the city of Pisa, Italy. There was just one little problem. 
Builders quickly discovered that the soil was much softer than they had anticipated. And the foundation was far too shallow to adequately support such a building. They were building this amazing bell tower, but they hadn't thought enough about the foundation. And before long, it began to tilt and tilt and tilt until finally the architect and the builders realized that nothing could be done to make the leaning tower of Pisa straight again. It took 176 years to build this tower. And during that time, they did many things to try and keep it from leaning more and more and more. They tried to compensate for the earlier mistake. The foundation was shored up. The upper levels were even built at an angle to try and make the top appear that it wasn't tilting as much as it really was. You know, they tried a little trickery there, but nothing worked. The tower has now stood for over 800 years, but it's leaning more and more. In fact, now it's leaning 18 feet from where it was supposed to be. And soon, someday, maybe in our lifetimes, it'll topple over. Let's go to Matthew 7. And I want to read there, starting with verse 24. As we look at this passage, I want you to notice the very first word is what? Therefore. And what are we supposed to do whenever we find a therefore? Yeah, what is it there for? <laughs> yeah, just keep that in your mind. Because it's always a big transition. A big point is about ready to be made when therefore appears. Because something's already happened before that. And something big is going to draw that to a conclusion or to summarize it or to emphasize it and say, here's what I was saying. Therefore, listen to this. And as Tim already mentioned in the communion meditation, this was the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Biggest sermon we have recorded. Biggest time of teaching early in his ministry when people really got to hear what this new kingdom, what the kingdom of God was all about. And he closes the sermon with a parable, not with a poem, not with summary points. Here are my three million points that I gave you today. He closes it with a story, a parable. And this is how it goes, Matthew 7, 24. Listen carefully as Jesus uses four very common images, two men, two houses, two foundations, and one really big storm. Okay? Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Yeah. Big, big deal. This parable, like so many others, includes peoples and events that Jesus' listeners could easily identify with. Let's see how it's recorded for us in Luke, chapter 6, verse 47. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. 
Now, the people that he was speaking to knew. They could look around them. They could look at the hills and the valleys around them as he spoke to them. And they remembered previous times when flash floods occurred. They remembered big storms that came. Maybe the day was a beautiful day with blue sky. Maybe everything was absolutely perfect weather-wise. But they remembered life is not always like that. They knew that the ground in their country was a mixture of sandstone and limestone. And that if somebody really wanted their house to hold up through the storms of life, they had to have a good foundation. They had to start by digging down deep to set a firm foundation. Now, we've read from the two places where this story is told. Let's review the story, but let's do it in a different way. How many of you remember a story or song that you sang as a child? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Anybody? Okay, if you know it, sing it with me. Here we go. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Okay, second half of the story. The foolish man built his house upon the... The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. Yeah, yeah. I love that part as a kid, didn't you? i tell you the truth, I still love that part. <laughs> That's the best part of the song. And we always sing the rest of it because, you know, build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ if you heard that part. Because that's the point of the message today. Why did Jesus tell this simple story? He said it right in the story itself. What did he say? He said the wise man represents who? Somebody who heard the teaching of Jesus and put into practice what he heard. But the foolish man heard, but he did not put into practice what he had heard. That's the difference. That's the difference between the person who found a firm foundation and the person who didn't. As I said, Jesus was wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, he taught them many things. Tim alluded to several of them. We really appreciate kind of a summary there. And at the end of the sermon, after he had said all these things of this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom that is so different than the world around us, Jesus concludes, and he drives home his point with several things. Back in Matthew 7.13, he says, there are just two gates in life. You choose which gate. There's a narrow gate, there's a broad gate. There's a narrow path, a broad path. Very few people find the narrow gate. Make sure you're one of them. Because the broad path leads to destruction. Then in Matthew 7.15, he says, Be careful, because there's some falsity out. There's false prophets, there's false teaching. Be really careful about them, because they will try to lead you astray. So test them. Test the fruit of their lives. Test the fruit of, of what they say. What, what does God do with that? If there's not good fruit, they're going to be burned up and destroyed. So be very careful who you listen to. Then in Matthew 7.21, he says, it's not good enough for you to, to just call me Lord, Lord. You know, to say things, to profess things, to, to speak things. It's not enough for you to go to church 
and sing about me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do the things I tell you to do? That, and he takes him to test, and then he goes right into this story. Be careful that you're not just somebody that hears, but that you become somebody who puts into practice what you have heard. Brian Bill points out that the word Jesus uses here for the foolish man is the word moros. Can you imagine what word it goes to? Moron. <laughs> yeah. How many of you want to be a moron? That's, that's my goal in life, to be a moron. That's, that's what I went to school for. No. The root meaning of this word is total deficiency. It was used of somebody who's stupid and foolish, of course. Foolish man took shortcuts because he wanted quick results. He wanted instant gratification. He wanted his beautiful house now, and he couldn't wait whatever time it took to get to a good foundation. So he just started building. Tamped the ground down a little bit, found a nice spot to locate his house, and built the crazy thing. Please note the contrast between the good house, the wise builder's house, and the foolish builder's house. It's not easy to see, at least not at first. From the outside, both of them seem to be well built, seem to be secure. They're both quite sturdy. Sturdy. They both stand strong in good weather. <laughs> they both enjoy the sunshine equally as well. Anyone would be glad to live in either one of them if they only got what they saw. But in one of them, there is a hidden flaw. And the flaw occurred even before the first two blocks were ever cemented together. It was a flaw beneath the surface, not visible to people passing by now. It was a foundational flaw. A flaw that was only made plain when the storm of life came, as storms inevitably do, right? Storms are not predictable when they'll come, just that they will come. Luke brings out the contrast between the two houses very strongly in Luke 6.48 when he says, One man, the wise man, dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Wasn't content with soil, didn't care about compacting the soil. I want to get beneath this stuff. Whatever may be here on the surface, I'm going to get down to the bottom. And the word for rock here, interestingly enough, is the word Petra. Ever hear that word? Peter. It's not about a little stone. It's not even about a fist-sized rock. You might chuck at somebody when you're mad. This is a bedrock. This is an expansive rock. This is a rock that is beneath the surface. You've got to dig down. You've got to find it. You've got to remove all the debris, all the other stuff that's on top of it, so that you can build on this because the bedrock is what's solid. The bedrock is what's stable and immovable. And in life, of course, this bedrock is who? Jesus. No one else. There's nobody else that satisfies qualifications for bedrock. It is Christ himself, Jesus and his words, Jesus and his teachings, Jesus and his way of life. If any man hears Jesus' teachings and obeys them, he's a wise man. But if anybody doesn't, they're a fool. Because that's where the bedrock is. Doesn't matter if you heard. Doesn't matter if you know all kinds of things about Jesus. Are you doing what he says? Many of us know the old gospel song that goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
All other ground is sinking sand. See, it's the foundation that makes the difference, isn't it? What was that foundation? Jesus' words, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' way of life. It was not only hearing but knowing them uh, and putting them into practice. Not only hearing them, but also obeying whatever Jesus said. Both men listened. You know, that crowd that day, they estimate into the thousands were there, hearing the Sermon on the Mount. How many of them not only heard the message, but took it with them and practiced what he had just said? How many of them were willing to step out on faith in Jesus and live as Jesus told them to live, even though it was diametrically opposed to the world around them? It was so different than how they had lived before that day. How many of them practiced what he had preached? On October 17, 1989, you will remember a massive earthquake struck San Francisco. Remember that? You were around? Some of you weren't around that day, but most of us heard the news. Some of you may have been living in California then, I don't know. And it would have struck a little close to home. Maybe somebody here, I don't know, may have even been through the San Francisco earthquake of that year, 1989. Many of you remember the reports. Buildings built on solid rock sustained much less damage than those built on shaky ground. We learned that the south pier of the Golden Gate Bridge sits directly on top of the San Andreas Fault, which is where these earthquakes do their greatest damage. But it was right on the line, right on the fault. And it was not broken apart, even though many places in San Francisco have suffered great damage and loss of life. It was undamaged because the foundation of the bridge rests on two towers at either end embedded in rock underneath the bay. Somebody took the time to go underneath the bay and find that rock and put those towers on that, and the bridge is still standing today. Many of you remember the news footage, a double-decker freeway that collapsed. It was awful. People were in the lower layer, and the bottom layer fell on top of them. People inside their cars, and the cars were smashed completely flat with people in them. It was awful. There was, a, I think, a TV movie about this not too long ago, retelling that story. And when they look back at that highway, why was it so, so much destroyed? It was a place where, where landfill had been, where, where other things had happened. There a lot of activity. And they didn't bother to go down and find the bedrock. They just tamped down the ground as hard as they could. You know, they used these special machines, you know, that would you know, just pile things down as hard as they could, compact it. And when the storm came, the earthquake in this case, it collapsed and people died. We all need to answer two questions this morning. What are you building? Big question. What are you building in your life? What are you building? All of us are building something, whether you really intend to or not, whether you have a design in mind or not. You're building something by your actions. The second is, on what are you building your life? Because there's only one good choice. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole point of these things that Jesus says at the end. There's just two choices here. Make one or the other. Make it very carefully. Choose the gate you're going to go through. Choose whether you're going to listen to the false teachings and all the other things that the world will throw at you or whether you're going to reach and listen to the, the true teaching. Choose whether you're going to build your house on solid rock, the only rock out here, or if you're going to build it on something else. 
There's all kinds of sand, all kinds of faulty foundations today, false teachings, false philosophies, man-made religions. There's shallow sand of meaning, meaningless life, you know, where people just kind of drift and do whatever they want and kind of feel good, purposeless living, gratuitous entertainment. If you spend the majority of your day playing games or listening or watching TV or, or just kind of in mindless stuff, you are building something there, but I would call it wise. I wouldn't call it a foundation that you need to get to. The life of materialism, the life of hedonism, where you're just finding out what pleases you, what makes you happy. None of that, in the end, matters. On the other hand, you could be the goody two-shoes. You could be in the quicksand of you know, self-righteousness. You know, I'm following all these rules and regulations, and I'm following all these man-made things that I've come up with or that I've subscribe to, and I'm better than anybody else I know, and so you're kind of puffed up with that, and you're hoping that someday that will be enough to sustain you and to save you. It won't, because that too is building on sand. The only rock is Jesus Christ, and the only way to be prepared for the storm and the ultimate storm of judgment is to be built on that rock. It is important to note that both the wise and the foolish builders heard it is his teaching that is the standard of judgment when Jesus says this is the way it is, it's the way it is, it's the truth. Uh, there's no other way to look at it. But then what did they do with what they heard? Only when what we hear results in application, when it results in obedience. And I want you to hear this really, really clearly as a Christian, as a member of a church, as a church-going person. You go every week or every week you possibly can. There is real danger in every generation that people will hear Christ's word and not act on it. That they will be satisfied that I heard the word. And James tells us, you remember, he says, it's not enough to just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. It's not enough to look into the mirror and say, oh yeah, there's the flaws, there's the things I need to work on, and then you leave and you just forget about whatever you saw, whatever God showed you. You never do anything about it. And if you find yourself in a place today as a Christian, as a believer, as a church-going person, as a person that's moral and good and better than anyone else you know, but you can admit, and will admit, Yes, I am a hearer of the Word, and I've satisfied myself that I hear the Word over and over again. I even read the Bible on my own. I even listen to sermons online. I allow the Word of God to kind of permeate my mind all the time, and you're satisfied that no action is required. Jesus is warning you. You better stop that. You better clear off all that junk and get down to the bedrock, because that's the only place where your life can withstand the storms of life. A heavy rain had just stopped uh, out in the country before a man drove around a curb on this lonely dirt road. As he rounded the curb, he saw an old farmer surveying the ruins of his barn. I mean, that thing was flattened. The driver stopped to ask what had happened, and the roofer says, I just watched the roof cave in. He says, I guess it leaked so long it just rotted clear through. And he said, well, why didn't you fix it? You knew the leaks were there. And he says, well, you know, I just never seemed to get around to it. Whenever the weather was good, I didn't need to. 
<laughs> when it was bad, it's too wet to work on, and I just left it like that. And now it's gone. It's easy to think as a Christian that someday I'll work on the issues in my life. Someday I'll take care of those little sinful habits. Someday I'll start really living for Christ. Someday I'll speak up for Christ. Someday I'll take my stand for Christ. And such an attitude is no different than that of the foolish house builder. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the wise man. This week I happened to be driving through Old Town Manassas again, just off of South Main Street, where they're building the new school called Baldwin Elementary School. Here's what the job site looks like. This used to be the ball fields for Osborne City High School. Has anybody been by there? It's like, wow, that sure looks different. Because there used to be these beautiful ball fields. You know, there was a place for people to play uh, baseball and, and uh, field hockey or whatever, and, and you know, lacrosse, and they're just beautiful fields. There were tennis courts, there was a skate park there for skateboarders, you know, and, and just a lot of good things going on there, and now it's this huge bunch of dirt and a lot of heavy equipment, and several weeks, months of work are going on here because they want to get to the bedrock, because they want to have a good foundation. Now, it was okay to not do all that when it was ball fields. Because you don't have to. The ball fields are just on the surface. You get good drainage. You get the right soil in there. And things will work out just fine. Because you're not really putting any weight on it except the people playing the games. But when you go to build a school and you want that school to last 100 years or 200 years and you want to have something of impact, something of importance, you better start with a good foundation. Because if you just put it on the surface and the first heavy rain came, that building would collapse just like the old man's barn. Here's my point. Your life may be so much like the ball fields. All you're thinking of is fun and games. All you're thinking of is today. All you're thinking of is, is instant gratification. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all this. I'm not going to get into the Word of God that deeply. I'm not going to make sure that the Word of God has its impact in my heart. I'm not going to change my behavior. You're just playing games. But if you want something that lasts, if you want something that will have impact in the lives of other people, people you love, people you care about, and even people you don't, as Tim said, then you better find that rock. and You better build your life on it. Or your life, young or old, is meaningless. It will do nothing for God. It takes a lot of work to dig down to bedrock. It'd be much easier to build on the surface just take a little time, compact the soil, make it as hard as we can, and then build something really nice. People would respect, people would love, people would admire. It takes a lot of time and money to remove layers and layers of dirt and other materials until we find the solid rock. But that's what wise builders do. Been along the coast and they're building a bridge, they're piling, pile driving, aren't they? It's just bang, 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 driving those piles down until they hit solid rock and they can't drive them any further. Then they go to the next one and they build their bridge across open water because they found a place where those pilings will not move. This is a difficult process, but it's a necessary process. So this morning, check your foundation. The foundation of your life is yourself. The foundation of your life is some dream of success. If your foundation for life is pleasure, 
foundation of your life is making me feel good and getting what I want, you're in the wrong place. You're foolish. You're a moron. I'll just say it plainly. But if you want wisdom, you will dig down to the bedrock of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Check the foundation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be on our hearts today, that you would not let us go. That you would not let us leave this place or leave this thought until we have really worked through this. Because some of us are living on sand. We're building on sand. We may even know it. We may have known it before today. And it's foolishness. We ask that you would drive this point home into our hearts. That we would think about it as we go today. That we would think about it as we enter this week. Help us, Lord, to dig down to the bedrock for life. The only rock that's Jesus. He is our cornerstone. Lord, uh, may we choose no other rock. No other false idea, false teaching, false philosophy, false methodology, but help us to be true to Christ, who is our life, who is our salvation. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to sing a song about the cornerstone. You may or may not know it very well. It certainly focuses where we need to as we finish out. Keep the thought going. Keep the meditation going. Christ alone, our cornerstone.